Hello and welcome to Explore Your Core. I'm the host Elise and on this podcast we delve inwards to explore ideas around creativity, curiosity and the mind. Today I'm joined with Matthew Brillia, a psychologist and the reason I reached out to Matthew today was actually my fascination I guess with the mind and psychology which is exactly the field that he is trained in but also just how being a psychologist is within the career and within like your own kind of life so thank you so much for joining no thanks for having me it's my um my podcast debut so i'm very excited (laughs) there you go maybe the first of many you never know (laughs) yeah let's hope so i was just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about why psychology how did you get that fascination and what part of psychology is it that you like Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So I think because psychology is so broad, but I sort of entered pretty, pretty generally, I wanted to join a helping profession. And I didn't like the blood and guts or anything like that. So I couldn't be a a paramedic or a nurse or or whatnot. So I guess when I when I sort of started out, it was, I liked um, human behavior and why people do the things they do. And then I guess from there, I really liked the idea of, you know, having intimate conversations with people and doing something that that feels like, you know, people aren't aren't doing every day. And yeah, being able to sort of make a difference in the world is a nice sort of thought. And to do that every day, I feel, yeah, incredibly lucky. Mm, Absolutely. Do you feel like you already had those kind of qualities, like wanting to have deeper conversations, wanting to help friends, being curious yourself? Yeah, I think so. I think I've always been curious. I'm always asking people questions and probably annoying them too much by chewing their ears off and and whatnot. And I think everyone at the clinic would probably agree with that. Yeah, I think the curiosity was, yeah, probably what what took me there. And yeah, probably getting a little bit bored with some of the the mundane conversations I'd I'd had in previous jobs and, and whatnot as well. So I guess, yeah, that, that drove it and I guess part of it in, in our being here is that I think a lot of people often say, oh, I wouldn't want to be a psychologist because you're just sitting there listening to people's problems. But it's so much more than that. It's that sort of connection that you have with the person in helping them sort of explore thoughts and feelings that they're, they're having as well. For a lot of people that I speak to, and I mean a few people spring to mind that sometimes they sit in front of me and I sort of can't believe that they've actually gone to bed, woken up, had a shower, jumped in the car and managed to actually, you know, get to their appointment after all the adversity that they've actually faced, which I, I think is obviously it's awful that they've they've had to go through what they've been through. But I do also think that it, it does sell hope to to people when they when they do face tragedy or adversity or any sort of challenges in their lives. Mm, isn't it crazy just like how much we are capable of putting up with or going through like that literally blows my mind and I think that's why I'm so fascinated with the mind and psychology and wellness and all, all that kind of thing so I'm, I'm literally blown away that how our mind functions what we're able to do like what we're capable is just incredible yeah and I think resilience is that is that buzzword that everyone seems to um to throw around at the moment but yeah, I, I truly mean it when I'm sort of amazed that people are able to function. And I guess I don't know a heap about someone when I initially meet them. I might receive a, a GP letter saying, you know, what or why they're, why they're seeking help. And then, yeah, when I walk out and I, I walk out and I meet them for the first time. Yeah, sometimes I just sort of think, wow, like, well done for actually getting here and, and taking this step considering everything you've, 
you've actually been through. Mm. And what do you think fosters resilience? Like why do you think some people are able to bounce back quicker than others? I think that previous experiences have, have helped them along the way. Maybe knowing someone who, who has been able to, to bounce back, someone who has encouraged them to, to seek treatment. There are sliding doors moments as well in, in people's lives. Some people, for you know, one reason or another, might have more access to, to healthcare, gets them in the door, and then they have that opportunity to, to really um, yeah, nurture what they're, what they're working on in therapy and, and in life and go from there too. Mm, and I feel like resilience kind of has that like snowball effect once you start to become a little bit more resilient you start having like more references like better support systems better access to systems like better networks so then when things do happen you've got more things to bounce off of like a better I guess environment to help I think the the snowball is is a really nice way of putting it and I think once yeah you do engage with someone who who can help you and yeah they have other avenues to to go down and follow then yeah I think that really opens it up and being connected with you know one person can can really change your life and someone who believes in you yeah and I think that's pretty incredible that in work I mean a lot of the time I assume that it is a lot of you know heavy working through problems but that's pretty incredible to see resilience firsthand Mm, even though it is all evidence-based and and science-based and you know you sit someone down and you say look I think if we do this this and this you'll see benefits and, and the science says that it's nice to see them actually play out in, in real life so that when you do sit down with, with the next person, um, I guess you've got that, that full confidence in, in what you're doing and I guess your own self-belief grows as well. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And do you mind winding back a little bit to when you first started getting interest in psychology? Yeah. So I guess for me, well, I never thought I would be a psychologist. So I graduated high school, went to Melbourne Uni, and I remember sitting in the auditorium and the professor at the front saying, you know, of you 150 students here, there'll only be a handful of you that get into our honours program. And I was sort of like, well, I couldn't even find the building. I was 15 minutes late. So I think that (laughs) that probably rules me out. And I think from there, just being at such a big institute, I sort of, I didn't do very well. I graduated, but not with flying colours by any means. And then what happened was I, I didn't have the marks to to get into honours. So what I had to do was effectively, you know, repeat my undergrad. I did a graduate diploma, so I did the degree again. I realised that it was probably more just hard work than anything that was, you know, going to make a difference. For me, it wasn't until I did my master's that I actually sat in front of people and and had that opportunity but I do remember sort of sitting there my first ever client it was a telehealth appointment and I remember sort of thinking wow how did I even get here like how how am I sitting here with this person about to about to speak to me and I think that's when all sorts of different feelings come up those anxieties your own insecurities the pride of what you've done and it's quite a I don't know, I feel like it was a really, really big sort of moment in my career. But I guess the path that, that I take, I took the, the clinical part. Mm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. It's a cool journey. Obviously not a straightforward or simple one, but I think that's, yeah, really incredible where it's taken you. I think a lot of people that I've found while I've been studying psychology is that they have their own form of connection, whether it be like mental health issues themselves or with family. And that's been interesting to hear 
as well the motivation behind it that I guess uh, like nursing is usually coming from at least what I've noticed people just like having that helping kind of quality whereas mm. psychology is usually you know affected by family friends or family members or, or themselves which is quite interesting because it's a profession where you've got to be very selfless and giving but also uh, has a quality where you can learn about yourself in the process yeah and I absolutely agree with that except I also think by the same token that I think everyone probably has been touched by something mm. so yeah I, I don't know whether I can yeah differentiate between well I don't know I think you're hard-pressed now maybe not 20 years ago, but now you're hard-pressed to find someone in any field who doesn't have a, a link or a relationship to mental health. And, and I, I did have that growing up. And I think that fostered the idea of, of helping. But then, yeah, like I said, that was pretty quickly derailed when I thought that I was going to have to, um, I guess, compete with all these people to get there and that I, I wasn't capable of that. And I think, yeah, you're right. Mm, and I think actually, you're absolutely right. I think everyone does have their own story and motivator. And I think that's actually a really good point and a really good quality that people then take into the workforce, whether it's, you know, nursing, doctor, what, like cafe, what, whatever work is that when they've got their own experience, they've got something really to give and you can tell. And yeah, you're saying that you did your master's on empathy. Do you mind touching on that research and, and where that kind of led? Yeah, so like the broad, I guess the broad idea was it was to do with empathy and, and compassion. Mm-hmm. And I guess if we, we think about those two terms, they're generally used sort of interchangeably. Some research would suggest that empathy is that, I guess, that distressing feeling we get when we speak to someone who who is in pain or is in suffering. That uncomfortable feeling, I'm sure most have had it at, at some point, so we feel with the person. And then compassion is that idea that we're not necessarily feeling with, but we're feeling for the person. So I guess here, if I was someone who was really, really, really empathetic and I was taking on the emotions of everything that the person um, at the other side of the room was, was saying, that would make me incredibly uncomfortable. I'd be more likely to experience burnout. I'd be more likely to experience an anxiety disorder or a, or a depressive disorder. So whilst they are served by some of the same neural networks, we would say that compassion might be a better option for people in, health, in helping professions, whether you're a, a doctor or a nurse, whatever you do, um, because you don't want to feel distressed when you're speaking to clients mm-hmm. and feel the need to, to turn away because patient outcomes are often positively influenced um, or increased, so say it's adherence or whatever factor it might be, by empathy being being demonstrated. So I guess in terms of, yeah, being, being compassionate, I think I'm probably quite lucky where I don't feel like I really take on um, the emotion as such when I when I am in a session I feel very lucky that I probably turn straight to straight to that compassion um, without being yeah somewhat weighed down by the empathy of course there's different people in my life where I I feel empathy um, but I feel like in my work compassion probably drives it and I think for a lot of people before I um, sort of looked into this I had heard a lot of people say oh, I'm too empathetic to to go into that career or, or that field um, and I think that's probably, yeah, quite a, quite a good reason. I guess the counter to that would be is that there is some new research emerging that you can train compassion and that you can 
effectively try and reduce that empathic distress, we would call it, and increase your ability to to be compassionate when you are faced with, with such situations. Mm, I was just about to ask, is there a way that you can um, change the level of empathy you receive or is it purely about just dealing with how much you do feel it? There is compassion training. I think it's often called loving kindness training, which has a nice uh, sort of bubbly name about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, for those people who I guess do feel like they do get burnt out. And I guess we mean burnt out in that, in that clinical sense where, you know, you're completely exhausted and, you know, not experiencing the, the pleasure that would be anticipated normally from your, from your role. Then, then that's a time to, yeah, possibly look into something like that or whether it's that, yeah, possibly you are being triggered by certain presentations or whether it's you take on less work or whatever it might be, find something that, that works for you. I mean, self-care is a real sort of, um, I wouldn't want to say a buzz thing because it's definitely here to stay, but there is a real head of steam, I think, about it at the moment. I guess one of the, the studies that I've looked at was, yeah, there were people who who went through um, the training to do with to do with compassion, and afterwards they had you know different activation in the brain that was less associated with with pain and distress. So often similar networks will be activated when we do see someone else in pain, as is active in our own brain. And then yeah, in these studies, well, what they saw was that yeah, these were you know less active, and those pro-social um, parts of the brain were were more active. There you go. And were there any other concepts in your undergrad or master's that kind of fascinated you? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I was always sort of taken by with anxiety and, and depression. Mm. Um, and it was initially the, the mental disorders that, that captivated me and what I wanted to do. I mean, I always felt more interested in, um, say, psychopathology lectures than... Um, I guess most of my other lectures, I really liked it when we would discuss disorders and what they do to people and um, how they impact people. And mm, That's my unit next trimester, so I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, and I think, yeah, I think for those people in class that, that do want to, you know, possibly go down that path, I think it's... Um, well, I think we're allowed to be, you know, excited about it as awful as they are. We can be excited about, you know, learning new things. Fascinated, um, I guess, or curious. Yeah, and I feel like the way education works is you do start sort of broader, like they didn't really let us touch much of that until third or sort of fourth year. So we're really slowly sort of building up to it. And that's when you sort of start thinking about, wow, how do I sort of assess these things? If someone's sitting in front of me, where do I even where do I even start? For me, it was always disorders. And then I do also have an interest in, in sports psychology, which I think eventually I'll possibly do some more studies or try and get involved in, in that somehow. Is that um, about peak performance or more so about just dealing with mindsets within the sport industry? Yeah, so both. Part of it is that I would like to work with athletes through the off-field as well, which I probably thought when, yeah, like to manoeuvre my way into, but I don't think I could ever give up the, the clinical work as well. I find yeah. myself completely drawn to that and I absolutely love doing it. Yeah, oh, that's good to see. But, yeah, I think it's so fascinating how strong people's minds can be. Like I actually just watched um, 14 Peaks about these mountaineers. Mm. And it's just insane what they're willing to put themselves through and how they can then get their bodies 
into a state where they can push themselves like that. And I guess you've got to have some psychological reasoning as to why you're doing it. Kind of, but yeah, I feel like going through pain for seven months, you know, get this record just because why not? Like there's obviously a, a drive of I'm doing it for someone or for myself or to prove something, but to get your mind set in a way where you can push yourself is just unreal. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And it's that thing where like everyone's sort of looking for an edge and trying to figure out what works. And I don't know, well, I guess some people maybe do have that that magic formula. But, yeah, we all have people in our lives who I think even just at work we look at and we're like, well, they haven't taken a break. They're still functioning pretty well. They're not burnt out and, and they're able to keep to keep doing this. And then you wonder, you know, how well do they do they rest and how much they invest in self-care? And some people just have that great balance where they can detach themselves from from certain things and whatnot where, where others struggle with it. Struggle mm, I was going to say more. balance. Balance would be hard. And those sometimes when you get into peak performance, I'm obviously thinking about extreme sports just because, yeah, mm. where I've been the last couple of months has been quite <laughs> yeah. extreme and trail running and hiking and all that jazz. But it's just fascinating how you almost can't have balance. Like those people say achieving records can't just be like, oh, today I feel a little tired. I'm going to take it easy. It's like you've got to push your body and put like push to the extremes or past what you think you can do yeah. to achieve that. But then there's no balance. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and sometimes I, I think about that with, with um, people I work with who are ridiculously busy. And the obvious sort of solution to their problems. And, and often people already know the solutions to their problems. They, they resent when I tell them what I sort of think is like really obvious. Um, when someone's incredibly busy and they're tired and they're stressed. And I guess part of that is, yeah, trying to teach people things when they're not going to negotiate on their routine. They're not willing to give up anything that they're, they're doing at that point in time. And it's more like, well, how can you help me? Whether it's, you know, to manage my thoughts or, or my emotions, the bodily sensations I'm, I'm experiencing because, yeah, I'm not willing to, to give up working, you know, 12 hours a day and then looking after my family and then all the other sort of things you have to do that, that life throws at you as well. Mm, and I think everyone's different in how much they can handle. Though. Like some people like to be busy and they, uh, they function optimally busier than others like some people you know get up go for a run go to work like very go 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 and that to them is their kind of happy optimal space where someone else might be you know sleep in and take it slow or when they finish work kind of relax but yeah when it gets to the point where people are getting stressed or irritated because they're so busy I guess yeah they've got to find a way to get balanced or slow down yeah that's a good point because the self-care is completely different for everyone isn't it I guess we all have Mm. perceptions of of our job like I don't feel a massive need I guess I'm lucky in the sense that when I leave work I I don't do a heap of of thinking about work I usually engage in something that's you know sport or comedy and that helps me separate myself from that but I also think yeah you're always monitoring it because I dare say if the the honeymoon period sort of wears out from my job then that will probably be a time where where maybe I do need to put more into self-care but at this point I, I enjoy being at work I, I love being at work so for me I'm like well I'm, I'm happy here so there's there's no issue um, but I guess that's part of it it's not really a process that ends you've always got to um 
got to monitor it, which I guess helps keep me in a in a job and all those sorts of things too, which is nice. But I think it's it's absolutely different for everyone. And we, we often, I think this is a topic that sometimes comes up for debate with other psychologists as well in terms of, yeah, how much self-care does, does one need and, and what's a what's a um, healthy amount of work and, and what's not. Because I, I agree with you about that. I thrive on being exhausted by the end of the week. I absolutely yeah. love that feeling. I love sitting on the couch on Friday night and not being able to move or not wanting to speak to people. I, I feel like that's my, my time when I'm almost my happiest. Mm. Yeah, I was, I'm kind of the same when I push myself like physically and then it's just like, I'm so sore, but this feels so good that I feel sore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm curious, what is your thoughts on positive psychology, what people are kind of sharing throughout the media? Is that fairly similar to what you've been taught, teach and train? Or Oh, that's interesting. Mm. I do a lot of CBT. I do some CPT, which is cognitive processing therapy, um, DBT, when people are experiencing often emotional dysregulation or have issues with with the stress tolerance mm-hmm. i i don't delve down the positive psychology path it's just not something that necessarily i don't really blend my my therapies all that often so i guess for me if i generally do take you know a certain path uh, then then that's the one i'll i'll take yeah hearing kind of mainstream stuff about positive psychology or just really small things I'm, I've got that psychology background like all right but where's the evidence how is it actually helping is this helpful for everyone what are the actual effects and a lot of it is just small things that you know take a deep breath or go outside or like mm. everything's okay might be helpful for some people but it doesn't address the problem it doesn't help people like find the root yeah yeah but i guess those little things as well i mean that fits into a a cbt framework as well if doing those little behaviors are going to help improve your thoughts or provide you with you know some clarity of thought um and i guess if it is say someone who's who's doing affirmations it's not only doing the affirmations it's the the, the process or the behavior of actually engaging in it and you might do it in a certain space or you might sit there and you might close your eyes or however you you know like to do them but I think yeah for us it's it's always the evidence and that's what we're always told to to follow and of course it never runs completely smoothly or or perfectly to a to a manual and people wouldn't like that either but um, I guess those key concepts need to be worked worked through. What you mean when you sort of say, yeah, mainstream psychology or in the media? I just think there's quite a difference between what I've been learning in uni, which is very much right, read the report, see the statistics and understand, you know, like clinical kind of practices. And then the route that I go down outside of uni, which is like self-help books, learning about emotions, um, yeah, mainly through like podcast reading um, and through friends. And I feel like there's quite a big difference. Like the social media side is very much about positive psychology. Like, oh, there's been bad things happen. All right. Think just about the good. Self-care uh, in a sense that isn't necessarily addressing all the problems. And I think it's also come from my experience with personal development, which is like you've got to be achieving, you've got to be doing things and it found almost like little flaws, like I've taken them on board to help myself personally Mm. with personal development, self-development and kind of that self-help and I still find downfalls or like areas that it's missing and I think Mm. it's quite interesting to learn between 
self-help and actual the scientific side of psychology yeah and i've read all sorts of research on um and i think instagram's a good example about yeah how positive quotes there's sort of mixed reviews on you know people sharing a, a quote about mental health and and to somewhat be i guess to a degree be be careful about choosing which quote you choose and making sure that it doesn't have one meaning for someone and you know one meaning for another mm-hmm. um and yeah i think in terms of self-help there are really really good self-help books out they don't need my golden tick of approval but the ones i generally <laughs> read would be in line with acceptance and commitment therapy or in line with with cbt so if it's working for someone then then that's fine let them let them do it so um if that's what people need at that moment then then that's perfect isn't it so um i guess part of it is yeah in the initial stages um you know making sure there's there's no harm to anyone and that people are safe and then moving back to well how distressed is someone if they're you know really really distressed then they'll often present present to a to a clinic or hopefully they'll present to a to a clinic or some sort of care provider and then if i guess it is something that yeah maybe you're not at a stage where that's necessary for you then yeah those little things during the day it was actually my mum who, who sent me an article um, which was it was not that dissimilar to what you said that it was about um little things that happen during the day so those little interactions we have during the day with people and I guess those little sort of pleasantries that, that might happen that we sort of make part of our day, whether that be a ritual or, or whatever that might be. Like mm. I, think that, um, I think that my mood, and I feel very lucky that my mood is, is quite good, um, is boosted by having that 10 minutes between a session, going annoying someone at reception, <laughs> make some sort of joke and then going back into my next session. And I feel like that's incredibly important for me. It might only be like a 30 second or a quick sort of quip to someone, but then I feel like my, my mood's back up. I'm perked back up. I'm not feeling bored. I'm not feeling mundane. And then I can go back in and, you know, do something really serious. Yeah. Which I think is really important for sure. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. I think it's been really cool learning psychology through uni and always having that kind of scientific part of my brain, you know, where's the research? Does it, makes sense like and I can be quite discerning when new information comes I can actually be like cool do I want to take this on board or not like you know with news and social media and all that it helps me kind of have that analytical mind Mm. but yeah also just having my own kind of experience and finding what makes me happy I don't care if there's scientific evidence or not I don't I don't care if this is you know typical to make you know typically makes people happier and healthier it's like for me right now this is working and Mm. and I'll do it because it's working whether it's placebo or not whether it's whether it's got scientific evidence or not I think yeah if people find if you can find what helps you or what makes you happy I think that's really the key science is just there to try and help find those answers for others but I think if you can find it yourself in any way however it is whatever it is I think you're pretty spot on Mm. yeah and I often I often wonder in terms of let's say there was there was no risk to to anyone's safety how creative would psychologists become with their Ooh. with their intervention and i sort of get worried to think about it but <laughs> i guess part of it is that yeah we all sort of set out and and we hope to you know make a, a great difference and then i guess as you get further and further down the the scientific path you're following 
processes which are which are trusted and i guess that's yeah important for i guess when when we are practicing that you're saying well look this works for the most people um at any given point and this is the path we're going to take because you're going to be in the in the safest hands but yeah i often i often do sort of wonder about and then there is room to be creative and and mix things up a little bit but it's yeah, never anything drastic. Yeah, and it, and it makes sense if you're going to be looking at widespread interventions and helping the population as a whole, you're going to want scientific evidence to back it up and then there be widespread approaches. But I think on an individual level, yeah, finding those little niches in coping mechanisms and strategies and ways of thinking I think is so important. It doesn't really matter if it's not recommended or necessarily suggested, but if those little ways that you have, whether it be, you know, taking a fresh breath of air or finding a quote or whatever it is mm. that's helping in the moment or helping for now or helps you, I think that's kind of the way to go. Yeah, and that's it. And so many times when, let's say, we are doing a safety plan where we might be worried about someone and you'll, you'll ask them, well, look, what does actually help you feel better when you feel this distressed? And often they'll say, oh, look, it's really embarrassing that, you know, I put on this song. And, you know, it's a song that um, I guess they, they probably haven't told their mates that they've got it on repeat or, or whatever yeah. it is. Um, or they'll have some sort of thing that they do out in their, in their back garden. Or it's, it's often not something that, that I've read in a textbook or or anything like that that helps them. Like sometimes, yeah, sure, the theory is, is based on that and whatnot, but often, yeah, people have, have formed their own coping mechanisms which which worked for them. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Like I'm the same, like I've got my own little things. It's, um, like I probably look really weird, like I'm just like running on the beach, listening to music and dancing around. Like I've gotten to the point where I don't care. I don't mm. care if people see me. I don't care what people think. I don't care. It's not your typical self-soothing self-love approach like I've mm. found those things that really help me when I'm in moments of distress or in times of feeling down and I think yeah as like a message to kind of spread is like don't allow a fear of judgment or people's perceptions to intervene like if you need to blast that song really, mm. really loud or on repeat or do what like just do it <laughs> if yeah. it's gonna help you just do it yeah and I think what's also nice is that I think society is slowly becoming more accepting of yeah. of people who might be doing something that 15 years ago or 20 years ago might have sort of seemed a bit unusual. I think people may be less likely to, well, of course, there's you know still people who pass judgment, but I think people are yet less likely to, to pass judgment and let people sort of, yeah, you know, just do whatever they want to do and let people be happy. Yeah. <laughs> all that sort you of need fun to do. stuff. Yeah. Anything you need to do that helps you in the moment or helps you in the period that you're going through. Like, mm. doesn't matter what people think or if people see, just like, do you do you? <laughs> yeah. In fact, I worked when I um, I worked at a the Headspace Center and I was looking at all the staff profiles on my first day, um, and I don't think they'd all they'd all collaborated or not, but there must have been like 15 staff profiles up there, um, and it was the yeah, what's one piece of advice you would give to a young person and they had all sort of said just be yourself and don't care what what other people think and I think yeah that sort of stuck with me that all these great people that I worked with they all sort of who seemed really happy and really comfortable in their own skin they all had exactly the same piece of advice Mm, I really really love that I think that's a really good note to end on to just yeah be yourself it doesn't matter what people think or, or what 
others are doing. I think, yeah, find your own coping strategies, find what helps you like navigate yourself or deal with stress and like be yourself. Mm. Yeah, well, I'll carry that into the into the week and the weekend and make sure that I uh, I am my authentic self. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing a bit of insight about your journey into psychology and a couple of the concepts that you've explored as well as your experience with clients. No, thank you for having me. It's been fun.